welcome you to week number four of Walk Worthy. Walk Worthy is about the second half of the book of Ephesians, or what we might call the practical application of the first half of the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to go to that passage that Pastor Bruce just read, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at just two verses today as we begin looking a little bit closer with our theme being walk-worthy. We're going to look at the specifics of what Paul encourages us and challenges us to do in walking worthy. Over the next three weeks that we're in the building, this week, next week we'll be at the park, and then the two weeks following, we're going to be looking at first Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, which commands us to walk in love. Then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14, which commands us to walk in light. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, which commands us to walk in wisdom. As one of the commentaries I was studying through said, these are the words it used. This passage, as you heard Bruce read it, is very heavy, like the previous one that we did last week. Paul does not hold back, though it may feel like a right-left combination, we need this passage. We need this passage. So if we need this passage, let's go ahead and start diving into it and break it down. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Our passage starts with the word, therefore. Therefore, as we've seen throughout this book and throughout other times that Paul has written, it brings it back to the passage prior to, or it ties together. So we now are looking at what this therefore is there for. And he's bringing what we're talking about today to the passage that we talked about last week, that heavy passage, if you were here last week. Paul pulled no punches. I laid it out there. I'm glad you're all back. So thanks for being here. In it, we're going to continue to dive as you heard the things that that Bruce was reading, we're going to get deeper and deeper into that through the month of July. But basically what we're seeing here is Paul's reminding the church and the saints of God that they have been saved by the grace of God. They've been saved by the grace of God because we've been saved. We're supposed to be different. Different in the way that we walk and different in the way that we talk and different in the way that we think. We are to be different in every area of our life. As a matter of fact, the passage we read last week said the old self of sin with all of its desires and all of its appetites should be taken off. And a new self created in righteousness with an appetite for righteousness and the glory of God is to be put on. Since we've been made new creatures in Jesus, we're to live as those new creatures every day. Every day. We're to walk worthy of the calling that we received. Or as 1 John 2, 6 states these words, he says, The one who says he remains in Jesus should walk just as Jesus walked. After being challenged to bring our mouths, our, our anger, our work ethic, our bitterness, our seeking of revenge all under the control of God, and then having been challenged to be forgiving and kind and compassionate towards one another, I think that... Even at the end of last week's passages, today's passage has a greater challenge than even those. The challenge is, one, be imitators of God, and two, love like Jesus. Both of which are incredibly difficult on your own. As a matter of fact, they are impossible on your own. The first says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of our Father in heaven. 
The actual word for imitator in the Greek is the word to mimic. Now, I'm pretty sure that if you have a sibling or you have a child or a niece or a nephew or a cousin, you know what it means to mimic. My parents used to always say, oh, Matt, flattery or uh, imitation is the best form of flattery. I'm like, no, it's not. I hate it. Make them stop. I don't want them to be like me. Well, here's the thing. This idea of mimic means to act out whatever someone is doing. Follow their lead and copy their actions. As I looked at this verse, I thought to myself, I missed it by one week. Pastor Bruce said, I missed it by one week. Father's Day, this would have been a great Father's Day message. The idea of, of mimicking. And I'll tell you, I love being a dad. But there's one thing that hits me over and over and over again. One reality. That reality is, is my kids are watching. My kids are watching. They are acting like me. The older they get, people see them and go, oh, that's got to be your kid. My wife says, oh, that's got to be your fault. But (laughs) I wish I was joking. But (laughs) they talk like me. They laugh at the same stuff that I do. A lot of times they have the same views that I do. And if you're a parent or a grandparent or even an aunt or an uncle, the reality's probably hit you too. As a matter of fact, back in the 80s, some of you probably will remember this commercial. There was a PSA, a public service announcement, and it was about uh, drug use. And it was a father who finds a, a box full of, of drugs in his son's room, and he goes in to confront his son, and he says... Where did you get these? How did you, how did you find these? Where did you buy these? And then he asked the all-important question of, who taught you how to use these? Anybody remember the commercial? What's he say? I learned it by watching you, Dad. I learned it by watching you. That's a powerful thing to think about, that they're watching us. This last week, I had the opportunity to go and do a wedding of Abigail Proctor and Jalen Lopez, Corey and Micah's daughter and now son-in-law. And he got to do a wedding. Well, my, I got to do it, but uh, my little three little kids, actually four little kids, got to be in it. And um, it, was, it was awesome. But if you know anything about kids, sometimes you have to bribe them to make it awesome. And so we had a specific set of rewards for doing their job. And each reward fit the kid exactly where they're at. My little guy, Andale, he loves Mario Brothers. That movie is on our house probably at least two to three times a week. And he loves it. And so he got Hot Wheels Mario cars, the, the little Mario cars. Been play, he played with those, loved it. He did his job, he got those. Levi loves dinosaurs and loves putting things in boxes. Well, we found a lunchbox that had a dinosaur puzzle, and he just, that's all he did. He just loved it. Lily, she got a toy cell phone. And... This is what I learned. Lily has been watching. Because the second she got it, she sat down and started going like this. (laughs) And I tried talking to her. You know what she did? She ignored me. Just like the people she watches. That is the truth of the matter. As I watched and I sat there and went, man, she is mimicking exactly what I do. Exactly what others do. Studies actually say children learn more by watching and imitating than any other form of learning. And there are a few things I want to touch on before I move on from that point. On the parent and discipleship side, what are your kids seeing? 
What behavior, behaviors are you showing them? What behaviors are you teaching them, knowingly and unknowingly? If you are not investing in them and they're spending time with someone else, what are they teaching and, and showing? And even worse, if you're just letting them sit in front of Netflix or Disney, do you even know what they're watching and preparing to mimic? The second part of that is, on the spiritual side, what are you watching and what are you intimidating, or sorry, imitating as children of god it should be god paul lays it out right here he puts some amazing characteristics of god for the first three chapters of how we should be living we are made worthy therefore we should walk worthy but we also see some direct connections from these three weeks that we're going to be talking about some specifics on paul challenges to walk in a certain way but there's certain attributes of god that he's pointing directly to that are found elsewhere in scripture Today, we talk about walk in love. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Ephesians 5, 3 through 14, it challenges us to walk in light. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, walk in wisdom. 1 John 5, 6 says, God is truth, which is the wisdom we should walk in. I said, look at this command. It says, imitate God, to mimic God. Well, here's, here's the problem. I see problems. I see problems in it because the truth is we can never imitate God in all ways. We can never truly imitate God in the essential essence of his being. Because God is perfect. Guess what? We're flawed. God is omnipotent or all-powerful. We are weak. He is omniscient and all-knowing. We are not. We're fools. God is omnipresent or everywhere. We are, well, we're right here. God is wholly good. We are wholly evil. God is spirit, we are flesh. God is heavenly, we are earthly. God is infinitely holy, we are infinitely and completely wicked. But even though we can never imitate God in all ways, here's the good news. We can reflect God's character in some ways as his image bearers who have been changed by the gospel, who have been saved by the gospel. I told you there's that word therefore that it ties back to that previous thought. And with that thought from last week came these words, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Take off your former way of life. We talked about this already. That old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Now listen to this. We didn't focus on this big last week, but I wanted to point it out this week. The one, that new self, created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. This is why Paul says this next thing here. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. As dearly loved children, we are able to mimic him because we are his children, because we have that new self that has been created according to God's likeness. We are, as the previous chapter stated, a part of his family. We are born again. We are adopted as sons and daughters. He made us his sons and daughters. Now Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We get to call him Dad. We get to have that personal relationship. We are his children and he is our heavenly father. Those who have been born again and adopted into his family have been given the Holy Spirit who empowers us and enables us with the fruit of the Spirit. I always laugh when people go, well, the fruit of the Spirit is one thing. It is love, joy, peace, patience. It's not like I have this, but I don't have that. These are the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. It is the fruit 
of the Spirit that we get. And it grows in us as we go. As a matter of fact, Second Peter 1, 3, and 4 reminds us this. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He has given us a very great and precious promise so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. How do we escape that corruption? Because He's given us the power. He's allowed us to share in that divine nature. Because He's allowed us to do those things, we're able to say, I can imitate God. Not on my own, but because He has given us the power. And we can look and see that God is love. And you know what? We can respond in love. God is light, so we can walk in light. God is truth, so we can walk in the wisdom of that truth. This is what we see laying out here. This statement, being imitators of God as dearly loved children, I truly believe is Christianity 101. This is the theme of the Christian life. You are God's kids. You know what I tell my kids? Peyton and Maley left today to go to Arizona to Worldview Academy, which is a, 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 a basically a Christian worldview, helping you shape your worldview and understand other worldviews and how you can combat against them. It's, a, it's kind of an intense summer camp. But I told him, same thing I told Camden when he left and tell him on the phone often, you are sellers. Live like a sellers. Represent the name. First represent God, but don't forget to represent the family. We represent God by being an imitator of Christ. We represent him by living like him. Represent the family. Honestly, God has given us a family called the church. He's given us brothers and sisters. He's even given us chores to do willingly by gifting us with the abilities to do them as a member of the family. As a matter of fact, I would say, if you remember back when we first started this past, or this whole book, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. I think Ephesians 1, 5 should sit right next to Ephesians 5, 1. Because Ephesians 5.1 is the acting out of that verse. It's the application of 1.5. And this should be our response. See, our natural tendency is to mimic our earthly family, but our even greater tendency should be to mimic our heavenly family. Like a dearly loved child who is close to their parents, learning, observing, growing. We're brought near to our heavenly father in the same way that we might learn his ways and become more like him. I've said it before and I'll say it again. God saves us on purpose for a purpose. We don't just get saved to go to heaven. We have a purpose that is even greater than that. See, God's purpose in redemption is to make us more like Him. Look at Romans eight twenty-eight and 29. It says these words, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. We see that on things all the time when things may not be going your way You're like no oh, no it, it, romans eight twenty eight tells me listen to what romans eight twenty nine says though it says for he, those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son what's that mean that means god's plan all along is that we are going to be conformed to the image of his son we are going to become imitators so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters to be conformed to the image of Christ is to become holy like God is holy. As a matter of fact, Matthew 5, 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, how is that going to work? Well, that's God's plan for each of His redeemed children. 1 Peter 1, 14-16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one 
who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know that's ultimately what we're supposed to be? That's ultimately what we will become. 1 John 3, 2 actually says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. Now, I've said it before, but we are unable to do this on our own. We are unable to imitate God in our own power. Now, while we can be trying we're going to fail. We can't be holy on our own, but as redeemed children of God, we are empowered to live like, act like, talk like, and walk like our Heavenly Father. That, that's what we're called to. He has empowered us. He has enabled us to live holy lives all for His glory. We're not just slaves following the footsteps of some demanding master. We're sons and daughters of the Most High, redeemed by His grace adopted into his family, sharing in his divine nature. I love that part of that passage, sharing in it. We are the temples of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and made able to walk in imitation of our Father. He is holy, we are to be holy. He is loving, we are to be uh, loving. He forgives, we are to be forgiving. He is truthful, we are to be truthful. He is patient, we are to be patient. He is kind, we are to be kind. He is compassionate, guess what? That's our goal too. Everything God is, we are called to be. Why? Why do we do these things? Simple answer is we've been purchased with a great price. We've been purchased. You may already know this, but just in case you don't, we're sinners. And we live in rebellion to God. And while we are still sinners, God, in His great and infinite plan, decided to send Jesus Christ down, His one and only Son, to come and be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death, and to defeat death by rising again. That Romans 5, 8 passage says, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us so that we could be redeemed. We have been purchased with that price with the price of his life of his blood of his sacrifice why do we do these things we do them in response to what he's already done for us that's why we do it where do we learn these things well we learn from his word we learn them from observing him we learn by watching him work in the lives of others we learn these things from simply walking with him micah 6 8 is a verse that many kids grew up memorizing in their Awana classes. I'm not going to read it in the KJV, so you may not fully understand what I'm saying here, all right? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. What's he saying? Walk with him. Learn from him. Be like him. I told you the first one was to imitate God, the first challenge. The second one is this, to love like Jesus. That is something that you'll hear people say, well, you just got to love like Jesus. Yeah, it's not that easy. There's a lot of things we say we can do, but when the, the, the rubber meets the road, it's not that easy. What his challenge here is, is to love. Verse 1 and 2, again, let me read it for you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Verse 2 says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. 
Why in the world would Paul start with love? I told you we got love, we got light, we got wisdom, we got other things we're going to talk about within the marriage and all those kind of things as we move on. Why would he start with love? Well, I think love is a fundamental factor in the Christian life. It's foundational to the Christian life. We've already read it, but God is love. God's very nature is defined by his love. Everything he does, he does out of love. The overriding characteristic of God's person is love. And his people, as his people, we've experienced that love time and time again, haven't we? Every day that I wake up, I experience the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Love is what sent Christ to the cross, and love is what actually kept him there. Since he is love, and since, as Romans 5, 5 says, he has placed his love within us, we are to walk in love as well. Here in verse 2, we see a similar pattern to at the end of, excuse me, at the end of chapter 4, verse 32. Paul points to the fact that we forgive because Christ forgave us. He points to the forgiveness of Christ and he points to the cross as it. Because Christ forgave, we must also forgive. Well, in verse 2 here, Paul does it again when he points to the cross and says, hey, you want to see the love of God? Look at Christ. Look at Christ. Imitate God. And the best way to understand the love of God is to look at the ultimate imitator who is Christ. Matter of fact, John 14, 9, Jesus says this. He says, have I been among you all this time and you still don't know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's been imitating God the whole time. Paul basically says, when we want to see the love of God, we don't have to look any further than the love being on display in Jesus, especially on the cross. The first thing we want to see that Paul wants us really to see when we look at Jesus is the power of love. Now, some of you who grew up in the 80s, songs just popped in your mind. I know it. They're bouncing around in there. You're thinking Huey Lewis in the news from Back to the Future, the power of love. If you're a Celine Dion fan, you're thinking her power of love. But let me tell you, any song that talks about the power of love cannot even come close to describing the power of love that is found in Jesus Christ. It can't adequately define the power of love on display in his life. The love of Jesus is a love that is unconditional. It's undeserved. It's unending and it is self-sacrificing. It is not just fondness. It's not just the kind of love that one would find in a family setting. And it's certainly not the love that the world thinks they know. It's not just love. There's so much more to it. This kind of love actually arises out of God's grace. It's a love that goes towards the undeserving. It's a love that cannot be bought or turned away. It's a love that is powerful. It's eternal. It's redemptive. And it's undeserved. It's a love that has no counterpart in all of the universe. It's a love that we are commanded to imitate. Wow. That's why when I said love like Jesus isn't that easy because that is a tall order. What does that love even look like? Well, Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter 22, the law of love or God's expectation on his people. Listen to what it says. You've heard me say it before. It says in verse 37, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. When you take a closer look at that text, gives us two very specific ways to love. First is, we're to love God supremely. Love God supremely. We're told to love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. The heart, 
refers to the core of our beings. The soul refers to our emotions, the mind to our intelligence, our will, and our determination. We're to love Him with everything. Our whole person. Our love for Him should be all-consuming and complete. It should be emotional. It should be a love based on the knowledge of who God is. It should be a willful love in which we are determined to love Him no matter what. How many times do we see people turn from God because things aren't going their way? Genuine love is intelligent, feeling, willing, and serving. It involves thought and sensitivity and, and is intent and appropriate with its actions. It, it's moving in that direction. Every act, every thought, every attitude, everything is to be a response of our love for Him. If we love God, that love will demonstrate itself every day in every area of our lives. So that's the first part of that command that Jesus lays out. But the second part was to do what? To love others just like we love ourselves. Now, I'm not sure if you pay a whole lot of attention to terminology that gets tossed around in this world, but there's a term that's called self-love that seems to be out there quite a bit now. Make sure you love yourself, and then you can love everybody else. If you don't love yourself, there's no way you can love... There's a, there's a whole lot of psychological mumbo-jumbo that kind of gets tossed into all of that stuff there. But, but here's what we see. We do love ourselves, don't we? I mean, if I'm hungry, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat. If I'm thirsty, I'm going to get a drink. If, if I have a need that I need to meet, I'm going to do it. If I'm sick, I'm going to go to the doctor. Well, sometimes. Um, when we want something, though, we'll, we're going to find a way to get it. We're going to find a way to get it because we do love ourselves. We take care of self, but in the same manner, we're commanded to actively seek the good of others. We're called upon to be the embodiment of love, of God, in our interaction with others. And when we're seeking the best for others in all things, in all times, that is showing that love that, that God has called us to. Our love for others should be the same sort of love that we have for God. And it's not some new thought, by the way. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, the, the Jews, they would actually repeat this two times every day. And you know what it was? Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is the command that he gave to his people. They recited it. Jesus gives the same command to us in the New Testament. Why? Because he wanted his people to love him. So how do we know we're walking in love with the Father? Well, the Bible is clear about this too. John 14, 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And just a couple of verses later in verse 21, he says, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. That's how we see the love of the Father. But how do we know that we're walking that same love towards others? Well, let's look again to the guide, Jesus. Paul says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We'll see that phrase again here in a couple of weeks when we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. You know what that is? That's when Paul's talking to husbands and says, hey, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. We'll see this continue to play out. To steal a line from a Christian band way back in the 90s. I know it sounds weird to say way back uh, in the 90s. But there's a band called DC Talk. Maybe you remember it. They had a song that was called Love is a Verb. Love is a verb. It's an action. It involves sacrifice. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Romans 5.8. I already mentioned it. 
But it's a verse we quote often. It talks about the sacrifice in action. But God proves his own love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That is love in action. So what should I do to imitate this? What should you do to imitate this type of love? Well, let's just start with loving one another. That's probably the easiest thing. That's a command. Forgive one another, also a command. We talked about that one last week. There's 50 plus other one another's in the Bible that we should be doing for each other, the family of the church. You know what else we can do? We can share the gospel. We can share the gospel. Can I ask you a very pointed question? I'm going to do it anyway. How much do you have to hate somebody to not share the gospel and let them go to hell? Simple question. Tough answer. How much do we have to hate somebody to not share the gospel and let them go to hell? The Bible also talks about taking care of widows and orphans. Give yourself like Christ gave of himself. And we don't only see it here in our verse. Paul talks about it in his own life. If you flip over to Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, listen to these next words, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In light of Christ's love for him, Paul said, I will live for the glory of God. You gave yourself for me. Here is my response. And if we meditate on the love of Christ, it may also push us to love like Christ. When I love him, I will be like him. When I'm like him, I will love as he loves. The last thing I want to point out here is the end of verse 2. When it says, And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Christ's death on the cross was a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, what does that mean? Anybody ever been to Rudy's? Dickie's Barbecue. There, there's something about... Anybody smoke meat in their backyard? Okay, there's something about the smell of meat over a, over a smoking set of coals that, that just releases a smile on my face. If you are a vegan, I apologize. I should have said that in advance if this was going to disturb you a little bit. But I love meat. And I love smoked meat. And brisket, oh, right up there. And, you know, it has just the right salt seasoning on everything about it. That tender cut, that fatty marble, all the things. Anybody want to go to Rudy's after this? Uh, All the things that you think about. Oh, we actually, uh, we're coming back from that wedding. There's a new Dickie's barbecue in Clovis. And I'm like, I am hungry and I want that. And I walked out and I smelled like that. You could see the smoke kind of hanging in the air. But actually, when I got home, you ever gotten in the shower and you can smell the smoke actually washing off of you? It's like, it's just like a second blessing. <laughs> ah, you, you, you just breathe it in. That is the fragrant offering that we're talking about here because in the Old Testament, it was actually a pleasing aroma to God when a person that was described as a sincere worshiper was giving the offering and his description in return to say, I accept it as it is a pleasing aroma. And I think about that every time I walk in, I'm like, that's why God made us who we are. That is why God wants me to go to Rudy's. That's why he wants me to have a smoker in my backyard just so I can sit there and go, pleasing aroma. Yes, it's an amazing thing. And he says, 
the ultimate sacrifice right here was Jesus Christ. The ultimate pleasing aroma, that sacrificial and fragrant offering to God was and is Jesus Christ. And I also want you to see these words. Christ gave himself up for us, but was an offering to God. For us, to God. Now this should be the pattern for us to follow. This should be the pattern of love. If we willingly give ourselves to the betterment of others for the glory of God, that is what we're supposed to do. That is the pattern we see. The call here is for people of God to imitate their Father and their Savior by practicing unconditional and sacrificial love. When we practice His kind of love, it's a statement of our faith. When when we practice that kind of love, it's a sacrifice that pleases Him. When we put others first, we're never more like the Father than when we love like He loves. When we forgive like He forgives, we bless like He blesses, and we walk like He walks when we think like he thinks, and when we do the things that he does, that's what we're called to do. We need to remember this too. Genuine love is always measured by what it gives, not by what it gets. As we close, let me ask you this question. Can others see the Father in you? Like I said, people say that about my kids all the time. Oh, I can see your dad there. I can hear your dad there. Does, do others see the Father in us. We are challenged to be so surrendered to the Father that we become like Him, more of Him and less of me every day. John 3.30, on the back of my truck window, He is greater than I. He must increase, I must decrease. It's a constant reminder for me. It's not about me. It needs to be about Him. When we imitate the Father, we will love like He loves. Let me tell you, that kind of love has the power to change your life. It has the power to change your home. It has the power to change the lives of your friends. It has the power to change your church. It has the power to change your city. And it even has the power to change the way we view the world. I'm not sure about you, but there's lots of days that I'm just disgusted with our world. And I want to go live in a cave. And I want to be as far away from all as possible. So I just can't stand it anymore. It's that old Popeye line. It's all I can stand, and I can't stand it no more. You know, that's the, the thing I see. But that's not what God called me to do. He did not create me for a purpose of hiding in a cave. He created me for a purpose to walk in His love, walk in His light, and walk in His wisdom, as we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks. That is my challenge to you today. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for who You are, and thank You for the Word that You have preserved over many years that we can even read it still today. A letter that that Paul wrote to a church thousands of years ago, but still struggling with the same stuff we struggle with. To be different. To be different from a world that is ugly. It is disgusting. It is painful to see the things that go on and the decisions that people make because they think that somehow their truth is right when they've completely abandoned yours. God, you haven't called us to hide from that, though. You've called us to stand and be the light, to shine your goodness, to love as you would love, to forgive as you would forgive, to show compassion as you show compassion. God, may you work in us today as we work through that in our own hearts and minds. We pray it all in your name. Amen.